All right, let's dig into God's Word now. We're going to dig into God's Word. We're going to look today at Hebrews chapter 7. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 22. And what we've been doing, let me just remind you, the last few weeks, what we've been doing is just talking about what it means to trust God. You know, I just said, we can't trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Well, who is He? What is His heart? And so we've been looking at the, the, the immutability, the unchangeableness of God. We've been looking at the power of God, His omnipotent care. Last week we looked at the love of God shed abroad into our hearts. This week I want to take a look at Jesus, the scripture calls Jesus, our priest forever, our eternal priest. And what does that mean for us? And how does that help us? That's what I want to do today. We're going to look at Hebrews 7, verses 11 through uh, 22. But I, I first want to start by talking about what a guarantee is. We love guarantees. We love warranties. And some people take advantage of these things. You know, REI is an outdoor company. And a couple of years ago, they changed their policy. They used to have a policy where they basically took everything back. You could return something with any excuse over the life of the product and they'd replace it. But it was starting to cost them, and they just realized they were being taken advantage of. So they changed, they, they changed their famously generous return policy, and now they, they've got a limitation on the returns that they accept. And they got a lot of flack for this. But th what they did was they put uh, some stories about, out about some of the ridiculous things customers have said to them in order to try to get... Uh, their a warranty or a guarantee fulfilled and to get a new product from them or get their money back. So, so these are things that were actually said to them. Uh, one person wanted to get two new backpacks. They said the bus exploded. The bus exploded. It says a customer called and the first thing he said was, luckily we were all, luckily he says, we were all off the bus when it exploded. He'd been in Central America with his girlfriend and their packs got blown up in the bus and he still had pieces of the melted fabric and shipped them to, his, to, a to them in a box. They confirmed that he in fact had their packs and they sent him to replacements. So one person wrote in, hey, give me a new pair of sandals. These river sandals aren't sexy enough. Another person said uh, they, he wanted a new jacket because the, the EMTs had cut his jacket. So he had an accident. EMTs cut him out of the car, cut off his jacket so they could get an IV started. And after he recuperated, he returned the coat, and REI did replace that one. One person wrote, hey, these, these don't fit my kid anymore. One of the re returns we ever refused was a lady trying to return a pair of shoes because her son had outgrown them. <laughs> We told her the problem wasn't the shoes, it was her kid, and we didn't take returns on humans. One, uh, many times they've received the bear slashed my tent. That was a pretty common one. Uh, thankfully, people, they said, were never in the tent when it happens, but I'm not sure why people think that's a product uh, a defect. No tent is bear-proof, they said. One guy said a tent failed him. He bought the tent, he set it up on a ledge, a windstorm came, blew him off of the ledge. And when he landed, he was so tangled up in the tent that he had to cut himself out of it. So he went to the store and said that the tent had failed him. 
One guy wrote, said he needed to exchange the roof rack because he bought a different car and the rack didn't fit the new car. One guy, one guy wrote in that the zipper got stuck, so he had to cut the jacket to get out of it. Oh, guys, I was dying reading these to Amy this morning. He came into the store and he said he wanted to get a return on the jacket because the zipper didn't work, but he, he got into a situation where he wanted to get the jacket off and the zipper stuck. And he said that he had a panic attack, that he couldn't get out of the jacket, so he took a knife and cut himself out of it. Uh, one guy said, hey, I took the boots off to dry them by a campfire. I set them too close and the soles melted. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this, this one's a great one. Uh, somebody wrote in, in an effort to get a guarantee, they said, I do not like being lied to. I said, let me just first say, I don't like being lied to. I was told how safe and durable these headlamps were. <laughs> so it was a headlamp. He said, I got into the river here. It was nothing too high. The water was barely over my ankle. The salesman said how easy it would be to walk with this headlamp on my head. And I could walk into the ocean. I could walk into riverbanks with complete safety. He said the light would never go out or it would move. Neither of these claims are true. And even worse happened, I slipped on the riverbank, slammed my knee, lost my fishing pole, and then to add insult to injury, all my friends were making fun of me on the bank for losing my stuff in the river, including this darn light. I will not recommend your gear to anyone else. Thanks for the bruises and the humiliation. I won't depend on your products again. This was a gift I wish I had never received. There you go. Guarantees. We love guarantees. But the truth is, there's nothing in here in life that is truly a lifetime guarantee. Something that wouldn't qualify as, as truly a lifetime guarantee. What the writer of Hebrews is going to show us in Hebrews chapter 7 is that Jesus, as that God offers to us a lifetime guarantee in Christ. He's speaking about Jesus serving as a priest as our priest forever. And he offers to everyone who would put their trust in him. Have you put your trust in Jesus? If you have, you have a lifetime guarantee. There's no uh, small print. There's no clauses where you would... Uh, that, that God will renege on his promise. There's no, there's no sense from the scripture at all that Jesus is a temporary, working a temporary salvation for us. We have, if we're in Christ, a lifetime guarantee. And if you desire to have a lifetime guarantee to be eternally rescued from your sin and eternally welcomed into the family of God, to be reconciled with God, to have a relationship with him that you enjoy forever. You can have this in Jesus because God offers us a lifetime guarantee in Jesus. And the fact that he is our lifetime guarantee is the foundation of our lives, church. This truth that Jesus is our lifetime guarantor, our lifetime guarantee is the foundation for my life 
for our families. It is a source of great peace and comfort for us as Christians when we see all kinds of chaos and confusion and hate and and coronavirus and all of these things happening around us. We have a sure and steadfast hope church and his name is Jesus. Amen. I hope you will say amen to that. A lifetime guarantee in Jesus. Let's look to the scriptures and let's read them. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 through 22. Now, and this one's going to confuse you. So stick with me, follow the reading of the scriptures. We'll do some explanation and then we'll make some application. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar." For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Guarantor. What is a guarantor? It is a person that provides a guarantee. Jesus, the guarantor. A person that provides a guarantee. Jesus, the guarantor of the greatest promise you will ever receive. The greatest good news you will ever hear. He is the guarantor. He is our guarantor. Now, to understand this passage, we got to do a little background work. So we're going to dig into the Word Chop it up a little bit, see what kind of treasure we find, and engage. So pray now that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes, would warm your heart, would mold your will. Let's talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is mentioned three times in this passage and many times throughout the book of Hebrews. Who the heck is Melchizedek? That's what we need to understand if we're going to understand this passage of Scripture. Now let me back up and tell you what the writer of Hebrews, who is unknown, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. There's a lot of people that speculate uh, a lot of different answers for that. Some say it was Paul, some say it was Stephen who was martyred in Acts chapter 6, but we don't know. We don't know who the writer is. 
The writer, though, has established from the beginning of this letter that he has written, Jesus as superior to every other Savior. And what he's doing, he's speaking to this uh, audience of Jewish background, and what he is trying to help them see is Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus is superior to Moses. Now Moses, you got to understand, Moses was, is the hero of, of the Israelites. He's like the Marvel Comics hero of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. And what the writer of Hebrews is doing, he's messing with their heroes. And he's saying, Jesus is better than Moses, guys. He's a better, he's a better savior than Moses. He's a superior savior. He offers a superior salvation. He is all about elevating the superiority of Christ over everyone and everything. Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of our salvation. Because Jesus has been offered by God as a lifetime guarantee for those who put their trust and hope and faith in him. You might summarize what the writer of Hebrews is saying this way. He's the greatest of the great. Get it straight. He's great. Jesus. Superior. Superior Savior. So he's been establishing. What he's trying to do is establish the supremacy of Christ because he's dealing with a people who want to go back to some of the Old Testament, Old Testament law, Judaic law, Judaism. And what he's saying is, because of who Jesus is and how superior he is, and because of how superior his work is and what he's done and what he's completed, it would be foolish to go back to an old religious system. It would be foolish to turn to any other savior than Jesus. It would be foolish to turn to a religious system and turn away from Jesus, our savior. Church, it's foolish for us. It's just as foolish for us to turn away from Christ and towards a religious system. It's foolish for us to turn towards anything. And we could, we could offer up thousands of things that we regularly turn to in the longing of our hearts to be satisfied in other than Jesus. So this passage of Scripture has great application for us because every day I face temptations and you face temptations to abandon Jesus, to wander away from Jesus. Maybe you would never say abandon, but we wander away from Jesus and we regularly are tempted to put our hope and to find that longing in our hearts that, that God has allowed us to experience, that only he can fill this, this vacancy in our hearts as, as Augustus as Augustine said, it's this, this restlessness in our hearts that only is settled when we find our rest in God, whom we were created for. Created for and created to serve. So the Hebrew writer jumps in, chapter 7, dealing with a central feature of the old covenant system. And he's dealing with the priesthood. That's why we're going to get a lot of references to Melchizedek. And, and to the Old Testament system of sacrifice. Why is this so significant? A little background here. Jesus, the writer says, is like Melchizedek. 
like Melchizedek in his priesthood and not like the Levitical priests. And he makes his argument based on a passage from Genesis 14. I'll leave that to you guys to look at later. Genesis 14 tells us how Melchizedek was a priest of God Most High, that he actually blessed Abraham, the father of the Israelites, and received tithes, a tenth of the spoils from Abraham after he rescued his nephew Lot from some bad Canaanite kings. That's where we're introduced to Melchizedek. Why is this significant? Well, here's why. And this is what the, the writer is telling us. Is Jesus is the king of righteousness. The word righteousness comes from two Hebrew words. Melech, king. Zedek, righteousness. Melech, Zedek. Melchizedek. Jesus, like Melchizedek, is a king of righteousness. Jesus is the king of peace. Melchizedek is the king of Salem. Salem is a city in the Old Testament that later would be called Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Salem features the Hebrew root word. Salem features the Hebrew root word shalom. Shalom, many of you know, is the word for peace. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is like Melchizedek because he is the prince of peace. He's the king of peace. Jesus, the scripture tells us, is our eternal king. He's like Melchizedek in this way. Melchizedek, we learn from this passage, without father, without mother, no family tree, just like Jesus, the son of God, who has no beginning, no end. Melchizedek, Melchizedek appears out of nowhere in Genesis 14, and then he disappears out of nowhere without any mention of his death. It's like he has no beginning, no conclusion. Jesus is like Melchizedek in this way, only greater because he's the Son of God, because he's deity. Christ has always been, and Christ will always be. Aren't you grateful for that, church? Your salvation is, is founded upon that. You have a guarantee of your salvation because Jesus is the king of righteousness, he's the king of peace, and he's the eternal king. He's always been, he always will be. The writer of Hebrews has the highest view of Jesus, and he wants every reader to share that view of Jesus. Now, Let's just talk for a few minutes about this idea that, verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus, the guarantor, a person who, who provides a guarantee, makes Jesus the guarantor of a better promise, of a better salvation. How, does, how do the guarantees of Christ comfort us? The truth of Christ's priesthood is a great comfort to our souls. What makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant? How is Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant? I just want to give you briefly, and we'll hit these briefly, three reasons for why this is true. Number one, Christ's priesthood was secured by an oath. Christ's priesthood was secured by an oath. You see the quotation of Psalm 110 in verse 20. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And verse 20, it was not without an oath. 
For those who were formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath. So Christ's priesthood secured by an oath. This oath mentioned three times. Psalm 110 is quoted. It's Psalm 110, if you go back and read that, is a window into an exchange between God the Father and God the Son in which God says this. The Lord has sworn, the Father has sworn, and will not change his mind. You, Son of God, you, Jesus, are a priest forever. In other words, what does this mean for us? God is never going to break his promise to Christ and his promise to us to use, to uh, allow Christ to serve as our great high priest forever. God makes promises and he keeps his promises. That's not true for any of humanity. We make promises, we break promises. Even those of us that are good at keeping promises break promises. God makes promises and never breaks them because it would be against his character to do so. God has made this promise. He's sworn an oath And he's not going to change his mind. This was never done with the Levitical priest. The Levitical priest followed in the family tree. Your dad was a priest, you became a priest. It It was not based on an oath that was sworn. In other words, the Levitical priesthood was temporary. The lack of an oath in the Mosaic law, in the Levitical priesthood, teaches us that those systems were never, in God's mind, in place forever. He has a a commitment to the priesthood of Christ that he does not have and did not have to the Levitical priesthood. His priesthood is secured by an oath. And that's foundational for us, church. Second thing I'll say, Christ's priesthood convinces us that God is committed to the mediatorial work of Jesus. God is committed to the mediatorial, the work that Jesus did as a mediator to reconcile us to God. We had rebelled against God. We were in sin. We needed a mediator. And so God comes up with this plan that allows for Jesus, the Son of God, but made a man to to satisfy completely the requirements of the law and then to take the punishment that we deserve. Church, praise Him. This is what Jesus has done for us. And God is committed to this work. He's not committed to any other work of salvation. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me because God is committed to the work that I have done to save sinners. We never have to fear that God is going to change his mind. Christian, you do not have to fear that God is going to change his mind about you. That he's going to look at you and see something in you or determine that you've done something so bad or, or enough times you've accumulated this and you just keep doing this and you've got some bad habits and you won't break them and so God will change his mind. No, 
He has sworn and will not change his mind. Because Jesus is a priest forever, he stands in your place and his mediatorial work suffices. It works. It accomplished your redemption. It never was about your works. It never will be about your works. Isn't that good news for all of us this morning? Christ's priesthood convinces us that he, that God is committed to this work of Jesus. We never have to fear that Jesus' work will prove inadequate. We never have to fear that, that, that Jesus does most of the work, but we got to do the rest. We don't have to fear that because our salvation is rooted completely, 100% in the work of Jesus for us. Isn't that good news this morning, church? So Christ's priesthood was secured by an oath. That's what makes him the better guarantor. A guarantor of a better salvation, of a better promise, a better covenant. is secured by an oath, and it's, his priesthood convinces us that God is committed to that mediatorial work of Jesus. And then finally, Christ's priesthood proves that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. The covenant of works is not as good. It's been improved upon. The covenant of grace. This unchanging, unfailing, unflinching commitment of God to the covenant of Jesus. To the work of Jesus. Christ's priesthood proves that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. There is no good reason, church, that we would ever wander from Jesus. There's no good reason that we would ever abandon Christ. And yet I spoke about that a few minutes ago. How we have these, we, we experience these temptations to put our trust in other things. Think of places in your life. Think of times in your life where you feel a need for peace. Where you feel a need for comfort. Where you feel a need for a sense of justice. Where you feel a need to be consoled. Where you feel a great need for joy in your life. Think about those times. Maybe you're experiencing some of them now. And now I want you to think about what are the places. This takes some heart work, church. But what are the places? Where, where are the places you go to find peace? Where are the places you go to find joy? Where are the places you go to find comfort? And there's hundreds of people in Brandywine Grace Church, and therefore there's hundreds of answers to that question. I wonder what you would say. If we, if we come up with something other than Christ, what we're doing is wandering away from Christ. We're looking to something else. Jesus promises as our great high priest to satisfy us eternally. But we look for temporary satisfaction in other things. What are the things that you look, that you look to as false gods? Where do, where do your longings 
finds, where do you seek to find satisfaction for those longings? Reading a great book right now um, by James K.A. Smith, On the Road with Augustine. And basically, he's an Augustine scholar. But what he points out to the whole book is that Augustine is a great is a great teacher for us because he spent his whole life, much of his life, trying to be satisfied in the things of the world, only to discover later in life that he felt like God was the only one that could satisfy the great longings of his heart. And the scriptures that he had been taught since he was a child started to make sense much later in life as he began to see that God was the one who truly satisfies us. But he saw himself, and, it, and what I love about the book is he's so honest about how he runs towards other things. He was a pastor, he was a preacher, and, and if you were to ask him, hey, are you doing this for the praise of Jesus, or are you doing this for the praise of men? Even as a solid Christian, a godly man, he would have said yes. I see in myself these mixed motivations. I do it for people and I do it for God as well. But I know that there's a part of my soul that believes that I'll be, I'll be satisfied most greatly, not by the approval of people, but by the approval of God, secured for me through the priesthood of Jesus. What would it look like, church, if Christ, your guarantor, was really the foundation of your life? What would it look like? What would you stop turning to that you turn to regularly? What would you stop doing that you do regularly? What would you start doing that you haven't been doing? What would it look like? What kind of habits would, would a person demonstrate in their life if they really believed that Jesus was the guarantor of the promise of their salvation. What would it look like? How peaceful would we be? How comforted would we be if we lived with Jesus, our great high priest, as the foundation of our lives? That's a good question. I hope you'll give thought to that in the coming days. Bless you guys. Grace and peace to all of you. I really look forward to, to meeting again soon, late June is coming. Peace.